Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I was in my room watching Jevy Race screaming at the laptop. Go, go, legs, you know, just as if I were, you know, watching... Given the COVID restrictions at the Tokyo Olympics, Lisa Stone has to cheer for her daughter, Jevy from 6,000 miles away in Boston. I was really looking forward to it. We had air tickets, hotel, and rowing is in the morning, and we had our afternoons full, and we were, it was going to be just a blast. And it was really disheartening to have it canceled for spectators. You know, I'm going to miss it. People keep on, are you going to Japan? I'm like, no, no one's going to Japan. <laughs> just the athletes and the coaches. Under the current regulations, zero foreign fans will be allowed into the games. That includes the athletes' friends and family. And in the host city of Tokyo, at least, no local fans will be allowed either. That's because of the threat posed by the spreading Delta variant. There's even a ban on cheering. So the upcoming Olympics will be like no other. There is something magical about having spectators and rowing generally doesn't have many. So it's really, it heightens the experience. I I can't but imagine that it's going to feel sort of flat. I don't think it's going to be as much fun. Her daughter will have to compete without friends and family watching and cheering her on. And Lisa knows how important that support can be for athletes because she competed in the Olympics herself as a rower back in 1976. One of my high points was a couple days in a row in 76, we ended up eating lunch with the U.S. men's boxing team. This team also, you know, had Sugar Ray Leonard and the Sphinx Brothers. You know, we were on first name basis. It was such a different experience. And that's the kind of thing that is not going to happen. This week, I'll be in Tokyo reporting on the impact this pandemic is having on the games. For those competing, we know it's been a tough year. Training was restricted and sometimes paused as facilities shut down. The games were postponed. Athletes did have an extra year of training, but some athletes also got COVID, preventing them from going to Tokyo at all. But many of us, Olympians and non-Olympians alike, have persevered. So with the games kicking off this Friday, today we're going to start Chasing Gold. Look, during the pandemic, we've all had to get a little creative about how to be there for people from a distance, through their highs and through their lows. My daughter graduated high school in 2020. Let's just say it wasn't the best senior year experience ever. What they did do, though, is they had little small mini outdoor ceremonies for about 20 kids and their parents at a time. And then there was a celebratory caravan with all the cars that were all decorated with streamers and there was music blaring. My grandma was going to celebrate her 98th birthday. This is back in October of 2020. Let's celebrate her birthday, but let's do it socially distant and let's do it with a car cruise. 
It was just family, like literally family in our cars, about 30 cars in total. They did the loop the loop for about half an hour. My grandma, they gave her a tiara, a sash. Like she she actually looked like uh, Queen Elizabeth because she was very made up. I said, I'm not having a wedding if we can't have guests. And obviously I didn't want to put people at risk. So that's kind of where we came up with this idea of a tailgate wedding and having our friends come and sit in their cars. I'm willing to have our first dance in a gravel parking lot if it means that 90% of our friends and family can be there. I'm on dialysis waiting for a kidney transplant. There were so many people that helped me get through the pandemic. But I think the biggest way that I was helped was my yoga studio. They had to really come up with being creative and recording themselves and then doing live classes. And that really made me feel so much more normal and less isolated. That sort of support can be crucial for athletes competing on the biggest stage in the world. London had over 30,000 people in the grandstands. They were jam-packed every day. It was one of the hardest tickets to get. London was a memorable experience for Jevy Stone. But due to COVID restrictions, Tokyo will be nothing like that. Jevy is a two-time Olympic rower. She placed seventh in the London Olympics. And in Rio de Janeiro, she won a silver medal in the single skulls. Jevy is 36 years old now, and Tokyo may be her last Olympics. Truth is, rowing will always be part of her life. One could say for Jevy, rowing is in her blood. Both my parents were elite rowers. My mom raced in 1976 in Montreal at the Olympics, and my parents met at the World Championships in Amsterdam in 1977, and my dad would have been on the team in 80 had it not been for the boycott. So I grew up around the sport. I'm just curious, as a father of teen daughters now myself, so, I mean, was it preordained in that regard? Because sometimes I get the sense that, like, my kids will do anything but what I've done. They, they absolutely do not want to be doctors, for example, you know? What about for you? I was absolutely like your daughters. I said, my parents are ours. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. No way. I'm going to play soccer and lacrosse like all my friends. And then I realized that I have no coordination when it comes to ball sports. And I told myself if I made varsity lacrosse my sophomore year that I would keep playing lacrosse. And if I didn't, I would switch to rowing and I didn't make varsity lacrosse. So <laughs> here we are. Here, here we are. Going to the Olympics. It's, it's paid off for you. What people may not know about you is that you also graduated from Tufts Medical School. That was in 2014 while training for the Games. I've been to medical school. <laughs> I can't imagine myself training for these games at the same time. It's a lot of work. How'd you do it? Well, I did prioritize. So I went to medical school after not making the Beijing team in the fall of 2008. I tried out and failed to make the team. So I said, you know what? I'm going to be a doctor. Life's okay. I realized that I'm happier when I'm active. For me, in order to study more effectively, getting out in the water for an hour, an hour and a half, made me a better student and made me enjoy the studying more, made me able to sit down and focus more, made me better at time management, all sorts of things. And so I did two years of med school and then took two years off to train full-time for London and then returned two weeks after London to complete third and fourth year before taking another leave of absence. So it has been, I have definitely trained while being 
a med student and a resident, and it's not easy. Uh, there's a lot of time management that goes into that and not a lot of sleep and not a lot of social time. Right. But it was worth it with the end goal in sight, kind of keeping the eye on the prize. Yeah, I imagine, you know, just trying to balance all these different things in life. How did medicine enter the equation for you? I knew I am a person who decides what I want and then go after it, like many physicians and future physicians, <laughs> you know, stubborn and goal-oriented. And I saw an orthopedic surgeon for knee problems when I was in middle school. And I walked out of his clinic and I said, that's what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> and I don't remember this, but my mom remembers it vividly. So before I even ever took a stroke rowing, I had my sights set on being a doctor. And that same doctor who I saw as a middle schooler, I ended up working with in clinic <laughs> in my gap years leading up to London and Rio. That is a beautiful thing, again, to sort of think about the the origins story, right? Because I think for a lot of people, you don't, you don't always know. It just sort of life happens. And But I have to tell you, just on a personal note, I have three daughters, and one of my daughters, she's our ballet dancer, which I always find this ironic that she's very poised as a ballerina, but is also so clumsy <laughs> in the other parts of her life. And so she sees the orthopedic a lot and just recently um, had this conversation where she said, maybe that's something I want to do. So maybe she'll follow in your footsteps, Jamie. We'll see. How about for you? Was, was emergency medicine an obvious choice? I thought I was going to do orthopedics, in fact, for a long time, because that is this field that most athletes have contact with. It, it's what appeals to me. I love the musculoskeletal system. And my fourth year, the dean of students encouraged me to do internships in emergency medicine, just to kind of, you know, test out the field, see if you like it. And the more I did emergency, the more I realized it definitely connects to sports in that there's very team oriented. It's adrenaline. You never know what's going to happen. Um, like any practice seems to go. It's a lot of adrenaline. It's high-pressure situations. You have to be flexible. You have to roll with the punches. It's stressful. I imagine there's a lot of similarities uh, with emergency medicine. Yeah, I think there are. And I, there are a lot of athletes that go into emergency medicine as well. And I think it helps that emergency medicine physicians, it's a relatively flexible field and then it's shift work. And people frequently find other ways to incorporate other interests. So whether it's programming or public health or policy or education, emergency medicine kind of has all these arms that people make blend with it. While training for Tokyo, you had to pause your residency in Boston. And then COVID hit. Games are postponed a year. So <laughs> how do you react to that? I mean, you're an emergency doctor in training COVID hits, you've taken this time. And then at the same time, I imagine, uh, Jevy, your services are needed because the hospitals are becoming full of, of COVID patients. So all these things happening at the same time, what's going through your mind? It was a really difficult month uh, last March. My program director was one of the first people I contacted to discuss whether I would return early. I said, I want to help. Like, I'm a doctor. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is a pandemic. I want to help. And they said, you know, you're not really any help at this point. We don't need you. And the extra year was a tough decision. And again, it was a program director who said, you've come this far. You've taken two years off. We will make this work. 
go for it. And there's this quote, I think you said you have it taped to your computer by someone, I didn't come this far just to come this far. Who is that and why do you have that taped to your computer? Tom Brady, who was my dream boat in high school. I had such a crush on Tom (laughs) Brady when he was winning his first Super Bowls with the Pats. But aside from that, I think that quote really just epitomizes, I think a lot of people thought after Rio, this is a happy ending. Like you have a silver medal, you're starting residency, what could be better? You're kind of reached this peak. But I still loved training. And when I did pieces in the summer of 2017, not training full-time, I was going faster than I had ever gone before. And that's kind of what set the bell off in my head. Like, I may not be done because I'm going faster and I still love this. Who's to say that it doesn't get better or faster? So I didn't come this far just to come this far. Who knows what's next? I love that quote. I didn't come this far just to come this far. So, Jevy, I'm going to be in Tokyo because I'm going as a journalist. Um, But as you probably well know, there's zero fans that are going to be allowed in the stands. My understanding is, I know this is is evolving a bit, but even bringing your family uh, is not going to be allowed. But what's that going to be like? How much does that affect your overall mental sort of game? Do you thrive on the fans and the pep talks from the family? How much of an impact will that have on you? Of course, it was incredibly special to have my family around in Rio after I won. I'm lucky in that my family got to come to London and Rio. They know what it feels like. And watching on TV, I think they can remember and have some of the emotions that they would if they were there. Your mom doesn't get to go. No. But she's going to be watching Oh, she'll watch all the rowing races. She's a rowing addict. And she's going to be screaming at the laptop, I imagine. Probably. Yeah. She's making us red, white, and blue masks because she really wants to do something that will be tangible that we can take with us. So she's sewing us some masks at the moment. That's that's really sweet. I will be shouting at the laptop as well. I may be getting to shout in person if I can actually see you. Although it's 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 strange. I mean, you know, there's still, as you know, they're still figuring everything out even now in terms of how it's all going to come together for people who are actually in the Olympic Village at the time. You've been to two Olympics. I imagine that the social camaraderie just it's, it's a totally unique environment, it sounds like, to be in that village with all those folks. How will this feel, do you think, given all the restrictions? It's going to be an incredible experience still, but it's not going to be as fun. But also not being able to go to other events to see other athletes compete in their disciplines. Mm. I think that is a special part of being on the team is going to see some of the other best athletes in the world do something that's vastly different than what we train for. And to be honest, there's usually a lot of partying after we're done rowing, and I don't think there'll be any of that. As we wind down this conversation talking about goals, what is the expectation? I mean, I you know, can you say it out loud? Honestly, there's been so much out of our control this cycle, and I think with all the COVID stuff, it that approach which we typically take to every practice. Like, we can't control the wind, we can't control the weather, we can't control this, that. So you control what you can control in the boat is kind of extended to the rest of life and the way you approach this games in that we focus on the rowing, we focus on the training, and then we do what they tell us to, but control what we can control. We want to execute our best race. That is by far the number one goal. 
to come off the water and have raced a race that we are proud of. And of course, we hope that that lands us on the podium. I know I will definitely be rooting for you, Jevy Stone, while I'm in Tokyo. Best of luck to you. After the break, we're going to hear from an athlete who won't be in Japan this week after his Olympic dreams were crushed by COVID. And now back to Chasing Life. Nick Suriano started wrestling when he was seven years old, and he got pretty good at it. You know, I always wanted to be a state champ, national champ, like NCAA champion. That was pretty much the pinnacle. And then as I went through that process, as I started winning districts, regions, counties, states, I was like, hey, I want to get that national title. Hey, maybe I can win the Olympics. Maybe it is possible. With his eyes set on Tokyo, Suriano took a year off of college to train. But then COVID hit and the games were postponed. So he had to take another year off of school. He even moved from his home state in New Jersey to Arizona just so he could focus on his training. I was at the most, I'd say, healthy point of my life before. I was ready, you know, I was ready to be that top athlete and uh, live that dream and, and become a champion. I was physically fit. Everything was, was pretty, pretty well. Heading off to the Olympic trials back in April, many considered Nick the favorite in the 125-pound weight class. But first, he had to pass a COVID test to compete. I tested Sunday, and I was fine. You know, I was negative. And then, yeah, we got on the plane to go to Texas. And then we had a test that night. And uh, I tested positive. So it was like a freak, freak thing. And, uh, you know, then I started developing some symptoms a couple, couple of days later. Loss of taste, you know, some tiredness, the physical pain, you know, that sick feeling a little bit, the headache, you know, it just to, you know, my dream kind of was crushed. Unable to compete in the trials, he missed his opportunity to stamp his ticket to Tokyo. Nick's not alone in this, as you might imagine. Many people aren't going to Japan this week due to COVID-related restrictions. That includes, as we talked about earlier, most spectators. Family and friends and the social environment that athletes bring with them uh, is critical to events like the Olympics. This is the pinnacle of an athlete's career. That's Catherine Sabiston. She's the research chair in physical activity and mental health at the University of Toronto. Sabiston says that during competitions like the Olympics, many athletes rely on the fans. Feeding off the crowd is, is really this motivational adrenaline kick that you get. And in some sports, the fans are considered another player. So because the energy that the fans provide you, a sense of collective, we have your back, we're here for you, as well as, you know, just the cheers and the positive feedback that comes from that instills a sense of motivation in the athletes and fosters a sense of purpose. During COVID, many professional teams even tried to replicate the impact with fake crowd noise. It's unclear whether that will be offered in Tokyo or even that it would help at all. Regardless, Sabiston says noise from a packed stadium provides auditory, emotional, and visual cues for many athletes who have mentally trained to manage and channel that noise. As you can imagine, it triggers a lot of activity in the brain. 
Sabiston says crowd noise activates the amygdala. That's the part of the brain that deals with basic emotions. If the amygdala processes that sound as motivational, it sparks the motor cortex, which controls movement, signaling the body to maybe push even harder. The fan noise can also trigger the release of dopamine. You've heard of that. That's the feel-good chemical and adrenaline, which can give athletes an added boost in performance. But this is important. Not all athletes respond the same to crowd noise. Some do find it stressful. So for them, the lack of fans could actually help their performance. Sabiston says having no fans in the stands could actually help the games be fairer. So any of the sports where there's a judge component to it, oftentimes the fans uh, in the stands can have an impact on the judge. It becomes sort of a subjective, objective nature of, of the sport. And we know that. We, we see it all the time in, in sports like diving and gymnastics and, and the events that are judged. And so it's potential that without having fans in the stands, these types of sports may see more objectivity than they have in the past. These Olympics will definitely be different. There are lots of new hurdles the athletes will likely face at the Games, and experts say these added stressors are going to have an impact. At the end of the day, you can train as much as you can, and you can be the strongest or the fastest person, but if your mind is not necessarily in the right place, it could affect your performance. Kenyali Alako is a sports psychologist. She's working with Kenya's Olympic team to help athletes cope with all the challenges that come with competing during a global pandemic. Now, what we are seeing with the athletes is that there's an increased level of anxiety and different psychological distresses, such as frustration also, because everything is now new and different. But that's why it's very, very important to just like keep reframing their minds, you know, because this is something that you can't control. So you have to make sure that you're only focusing on the things that you can't control, such as like your attitude and your training and your strength and your sleep and your recovery and the things that are within your control should be your focus. Ilako says the key for these athletes is to rely on their social supports, even from a distance to stay positive. And remember, you made it to Tokyo, so that's an accomplishment alone, and enjoy it. These Olympic Games, like everything this past year, have been uncertain. Olympian or not, I think we can all learn from Alako's advice. Focus on the things you can control. Regardless of the pandemic, that's always true in life. As the Olympic Games open on Friday, I want to wish all those competing, wherever they call home, the best of luck. And if you want to learn more about healthy exercise routines, check out CNN's Fitness But Better newsletter. You can subscribe at cnn.com newsletters. We'll be back next Tuesday with our last episode of Season 1, Chasing Life. Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is executive producer. Zoe Saunders is the senior producer. This episode was produced by Rachel Cohn, Jordan Goss-Perret, Paige Sutherland, Audrey Horwitz, and Grace Walker. Our medical writer is Andrea Kane. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seeley of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Rafina Ahmad, Courtney Coop and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio. One last request. If you like what you've heard today, please rate and review the podcast. 
I really want to hear what you think, and it will also help others discover the show. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.